Well, if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 15. Thank you, Brother Vance, always for leading us in our worship. Ladies, for being able to play on the fly. Amen. Right? You know, uh, I have looked through the heavenly highway for a song that I really enjoy, uh, but it's not in there, and it's not in the other hymnal either. Have you all ever heard the song, Little Is Much, When God Is In It? Yeah. yeah. Every once in a while, that's, you know that song? We have the music? Okay. Well, maybe uh, maybe we need to work on that one. Is just a special, maybe? I don't know. I, I like that song. I used to sing it. I've sung in a few quartets in my life, and that was one of the ones that we uh, sang. Well, we're in John chapter 15, going through the Gospel of John, and of course, we've had breaks here and there. Hey, Johnny, does this mic record? Because uh, I forgot my lapel mic tonight. It does? Okay, I'll just try not to move. All right, I'll try not to move around too much. John chapter 15, we ended last uh, two weeks ago with John chapter 14 with this word, arise, that's how uh, chapter 14 ends, arise, let us go from here. Up to this point, Jesus had been in the upper room with his disciples, he had washed their feet, they had had the last supper, he revealed who was going to betray him, uh, had this conversation with Peter, sorry buddy, you're going to deny me three times, and uh, he's continued to teach them, and then he says, arise, let us go from here, and from here... He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, John, the Gospel of John doesn't necessarily tell us that in so many words, but essentially what you're going to see tonight is it lends itself to this idea because Jesus is talking about a vineyard and vines and a vine dresser. And so you get the idea they've arrived in the garden and he's kind of got this open illustration to talk about vines and vine dressers and branches and trees. And if you work in a garden or if you like to work in your yard and trim your trees, you could probably relate a little bit to this scripture that we're looking at tonight and what it means to abide in Christ. Well, let's look at our scripture. We're going to read it all the way through and uh, actually not all the way through John chapter 15. We're going to stop at verse 26 and not uh, read, I'm sorry, verse 25 and not read verses 26 or 27. But starting in verse 1 of John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done, uh, not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Verse 25, But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Pause a moment for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this word. And we thank you for uh, its impact that it can have on our life. Father, I pray that you would grow us uh, from understanding, through speaking through it, through praying through it. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us what it means to abide. And Lord, the effect of our abiding in you. And it's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so in this chapter 15, Jesus teaches on a subject related to tree limbs that grow from the root of a vine. Uh, obviously, grape vines are a big thing in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. Uh, they drank a lot of wine, and, and so uh, they, from that, they, um, they were able to gather this illustration that Jesus is giving them. But in this lesson about the vineyard, teaches about Jesus teaches about, well, there's this kind of interwoven theme in here, isn't there, about abide, abiding in him. In the first section, he says, abide in me. The second section, he says, abide, you're abiding in my love, and, and this is what happens if you abide in him. And so the result, what I want to talk about tonight is the result of abiding in Christ. What happens when we abide in Christ? Uh, and first, what does it mean to abide? It's not a word that we really use in our everyday language. The simplest explanation is to think of your house. Another word for house is abode. I had some friends, you've probably heard me say before, I had some friends in college, they called their house the humble abode. They were renting it, it was run down, and so uh, they were not too proud of it, and they knew it was not that great of a house, the humble abode. And so when I see this word abide, I think of house, I think of where you reside. And so... The simplest understanding here is when Jesus says, abide in me, he's saying, make your home in me. Let me abide in you, he's saying, let me make my home in you. When you really think about making your home somewhere and someone making their home somewhere, what do you do? I mean, what do you really mean when, somebody, when you tell somebody, well, make yourself at home? Well, make yourself comfortable, right? But what if they took off their shoes and started moving the furniture around and 
you know, kind of made a mess of things. You're like, what are you doing? You said make, a, make myself at home, right? Do we really want Jesus to make himself at home in our hearts, to abide in us? It's an important question that we need to ask. What does it mean when we say we want Christ to abide in us and we want to abide in Christ? Simplest way of putting it is that he makes his home in us and we make our home in him. And in this chapter 15, there are three things that I think are going to happen. We could probably draw it out and find a whole bunch of other things, but I want to pull out three things for you that will happen if you abide in Christ. The first one, in this first section, verses 1 through 8, he says, is you will bear fruit. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. What kind of fruit? I generally apply this to refer to two types of fruit, an internal fruit and an external fruit. Internal fruit is the spiritual development and maturing that occurs as we grow in Christ. For a few weeks on Sunday morning, we talked about sanctification, about the Holy Spirit and His working in us to make us more like Jesus Christ. That would be internal fruit. As Christ grows in us and as we grow in Christ, He begins to develop certain virtues, certain characteristics, things that are missing in us that will make us more like Him. The Bible lists these qualities and virtues such as love, joy, patience, temperance, even meekness, being a peacemaker. These are some of the fruits that the Bible gives us. These are things that will be developed in us in our relationship with Christ. And while I call it internal fruit because it is something that the Holy Spirit works in us, it eventually will overflow. And this eternal fruit is really the overflow of the Holy Spirit growing us into the person and the follower of Christ He wants us to be. And what ends up happening is, is even though I'm calling it internal fruit, it will become how we deal with one another. Internal fruit eventually affects others. But then I talk about external fruit. So there's internal fruit and then external fruit. If we abide in Christ, like John 15 tells us to do, we will, we will bear much fruit. Internal fruit and then external fruit. External fruit are those things that we produce outside of ourselves. They are seen by others. You know, people don't necessarily see that God is growing us to be more patient. People don't necessarily see that He is growing us to be more meek until they interact with us. But an external fruit is something that is very visible to other people. External fruit is grown as an overflow also of the Holy Spirit working in us, but it affects not just us in our insides and our relationship with the Lord, but it affects those around us. External fruit might be labeled as disciple-making. External fruit might be labeled as evangelism. But really, those are just two of the ways that God will use us to produce spiritual fruit when we abide in Him. You could also say ministry. Ministering to one another is an external fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us. If I'm not abiding in Christ, I'm probably not going to minister to another individual. That is an external production of Christ in me and me in Christ. 
But I want to know something about, want us to notice something about this scripture and the metaphorical way that Jesus teaches, because this is all about a metaphor, right? He says, God the Father is a vine dresser. God the Father is not really a gardener, but that's a metaphor. He's the one tending to the garden. And in this metaphor, there are two types of branches. There's branches that bear fruit, and there are branches that do not bear fruit. And he says that those that do not produce fruit are what? They are cut off, right? That's what he says first. He says they are cut off, and then eventually, verse 6, they are cast out, they are withered, they are gathered, and they're thrown into the fire, and they are burned. You might be asking, well, is this a foreshadowing of hell? I believe it is. We're going to come back to that in a moment, though. But also notice what happens in verse 2 to the branches that do produce fruit. They are clipped too. They are pruned, meaning they are clipped back in such a way, not that they will die, but they will bear more fruit. Kind of reminds me of the uh, parable Jesus tells about the three servants, and he gives each servant some talents. One of them he gives five, another one he gives two, another one he gives one. And the one that takes the five and produces uh, more talents from those talents, he says, well done. And the one who produces or takes the two and produces, I can't remember how many, maybe one more, he says, well done. But then the one that doesn't do anything with his fruit takes it away, casts him out. There's an expectation. There's an expectation that when we are connected to Christ, we will bear fruit, that we will produce and when he says, listen, if you're bearing fruit, I'm going to come along and I'm going to prune you in such a way that you will bear more fruit. I find it interesting that God clips both the fruit-bearing branches and the non-bearing fruit branches. He wants us to produce as much as we possibly can. And so, you know, I didn't plan this. This morning I spoke about how our trials test the genuineness of our faith. They re it reveals whether our faith in Christ is authentic or not. Perhaps it is through trials that God also prunes us in order to produce more fruit. Not that this is the only way, but one of the ways that he prunes the fruitful fruit. So if you feel yourself going through the fire of trial, you're like, God, what are you doing? And you say, okay, okay, I got it. This morning he talked about you're testing the genuineness of my faith. Amen, I've got it now. Not only that, though. God may be clipping you back a little bit so you produce more fruit. He loves that you're producing fruit. But he says, in me, you can bear much fruit. You can do so much more. I also want you to notice that abiding in Jesus is necessary if we want to produce any fruit at all. Verse 5 says, apart from me, you can do what? A little louder. Nothing. It doesn't say a little bit. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't even say bad things. It says nothing. That's very specific. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Now, I'm sure we're able to sin apart from Christ. The understanding there is talking about this good fruit bearing. We're not able to do it if we're not a part of Christ our relationship with Christ, and we'll talk about that here in just a second, 
our relationship with Christ is so necessary if we want to bear spiritual fruit, both internal and external. And so if you're saying, you know, I just want to be a more patient person, understand, you will not bear that fruit apart from Christ. If you want to be a more loving person, understand, you will not bear that fruit apart from Christ. You want to lead people to salvation? You will not bear that fruit apart from Christ. But what about these branches that are burned in the fire? I said we'd come back to that. If the fire is representative of hell, and Jesus says God will cut off any branch that is in Jesus and does not bear fruit, is this talking about the possibility that you could lose your salvation? I mean, after all, verse 2 specifically states, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And generally, when the Bible teaches or uses this phrase, in Christ, in God, in me, it's talking about someone who has a personal relationship with God. It certainly sounds like these are branches, metaphorically speaking, these are people that are in Christ. But then they're removed from being in Christ. They're removed and then eventually thrown into the fire. Again, I, I did not plan this to coincide with this morning's message, but in Christ does not necessarily indicate an authentic salvation. After all, the Bible speaks often about those who will be lost even though they have a form of belief in Jesus Christ. That's kind of what we talked about this morning. There is a form of belief that is not an authentic saving faith. There is a form of belief that does not lead to eternal life. Perhaps the most closely related to this scripture is the guy that just got sent out of the room. Back in John chapter 13, Judas, he was in Christ for three years. He spent time with Jesus Christ, heard his teaching, and in a way, he believed in who Jesus was. But there is no doubt in my mind that Judas was not saved. There's no doubt in my mind that Judas was cut off, left to wither, and unfortunately for him, thrown into the fire. Or perhaps you'll remember back when we were in John chapter 6 and we were uh, looking at some of the other teachings of Jesus Christ uh, and uh, there were those difficult teachings. And specifically in John chapter 6 verse 60, it says, after one of these difficult teachings, therefore many of his, talking about Jesus, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And they fell away. Perhaps more fitting, through the difficult cut, uh, teaching, they were cut away. They were disciples. So not every believer is a true born-again believer. Not every disciple is a true disciple. And the test of our genuineness of our faith is not only the trials that we talked about this morning, but it's also the fruit that is being produced in us. Now, this is not, a, this is not meant to be a judgmental statement. Lo, any of us go around and say, Man, Vance, you're just not producing any fruit, buddy. <laughs> I'm picking on Vance because he and I are buddies. You know, Kenneth... Come on, man, you're not producing any fruit. I haven't seen you produce. That's not what this is. This is self-reflective, man. This is you look in the mirror at yourself, spiritually speaking, the mirror. Perhaps best said, looking in this mirror, the Word of God, 
and reflect upon ourselves and ask the question, what is being produced in me? Spending time, much time in prayer, spending much time in God's Word will help us with that. The end goal of bearing fruit, though, is in verse 8, to glorify God. And and this abiding in Christ is not just so that we bear fruit and say, hey, look at me, I'm bearing much fruit, but it is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we doing on time? All right. So the second effect of abiding in Christ is found in verses 9 through 17. We've already read this. In the next set of verses, Jesus alludes to another benefit of abiding with Him. If we abide in Him, then in the same way that the Father loved Jesus, He loves us. And that's not a cold, unaffectionate love, but Jesus actually calls us, what? His friends. And let's just reread verses 13 through 14 real quick. Some of the most beautiful scripture. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm trying to stop saying this is my favorite verse because you guys make fun of me because I say that so many times, right? But such beautiful language here. Verses 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus is foreshadowing his coming death. And he's saying, I'm about to give you the greatest gift of love you've ever received. And you are my friends. There's no greater love a person can give a friend than to die for you. Mm. The love of, of God for us, the love of God for Jesus is the same love we will experience when we abide in Christ. And though verse 14 might sound a little bit like God's love is conditional when he says, if you keep my commandments, not only that, in verse 14, he, or verse 10, he makes that same statement. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It makes it sound like his love and his friendship is conditional upon our commanding, or our, our, our obeying his commandments. It sounds like God's love is conditional. You know, when I was a kid, there always seemed to be one kid in the neighborhood that if you didn't play the game they wanted or play the game exactly how they wanted, they'd pick up their toys and go home, right? Or they would, you know, run you off so they could play the game the way they wanted. That's not what's happening here, (laughs) But that's not what Jesus is, is saying here. He's not saying, you better do the things I way I want you to do, or I'm going to go home. This friend is way different, isn't he? This is the friend that shows the greatest love, no greater love. And he laid down his life for his friends. He died for us. And so his request for our obedience is not selfish. It's not making his love and his friendship conditional, but in reality, what he is trying to communicate to his disciples and to us is how you can abide. You want to abide in me, then you need to obey. You want to be abiding in my love, then you need to obey. And not only that, but catch what he says in verse 11. Here's here's perhaps a really fringe benefit of Spending our life in obedience to Christ. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. 
what he's telling us is for our benefit. Remember, obedience to God, obedience to Jesus Christ, really is an act of worship on our part. And his request for our obedience is not a condition set upon his love as much as it is the very best thing for us. And there are benefits to this obedience that is birthed out of being in a loving friendship with Jesus Christ. We've already talked about joy. We have a joy that is made full in our obedience. In the same way that Jesus' joy is made complete by his abiding in the Father and being obedient to the Father and his commands and his will, Jesus knew that us, that his disciples, could only experience true, lasting joy if they submitted their life to him in total and complete obedience. I don't know about you, but I want true, lasting joy and not a joy that wears out at the end of the day. I want a joy... I want a joy that springs from a satisfaction that is deep within me and that satisfaction never goes away. And that satisfaction can only come from a life that is fully submitted to Jesus Christ. But here's another, uh, here's another benefit of that obedience. Love. We're talking about love, but not only the love of God and from God, is not only is that a part of our abiding in Jesus, but what does he say in verse 17? Verse 17, he says, These things I command you, that you love one another. You see, in chapter 13, I really focused on the love that Christ has for the church. It's a significant, uh, individualistic kind of love. It's a, it's a love different from the love he has from the lost world. It, how special the church, the born-again believer, is to God that has, has been born again into Jesus Christ. And that love is supposed to spur us to love one another, to be in love with one another in a spiritual sense. You see, the love that God has for me should spur me on to love you in the same way. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. Talking about Jesus' love for us. But that's the same kind of love you and I are supposed to have for one another. And so when we submit our lives in obedience to God, when we submit our lives in obedience to Jesus Christ, abiding in Him, we are in essence submitting ourselves to that love. And we receive that love from one another. That's a benefit, right? To me, that's a beautiful benefit. The disciples had a bad habit of arguing over who would be the greatest. You know, that... John and James, they wanted to be at the right hand of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. They, you know, they were just, even at the Last Supper, one of the Gospels paints this picture that they're arguing over who will be the greatest. But Jesus sets them straight here. Verse 16, he says, I didn't just choose one of you, and you didn't choose me, but I chose you. In other words, the love of God takes away any kind of self-perception that would elevate ourselves in the eyes of ourselves. You are special to God. You and I am special to God. You are loved by God and I am loved by God. But you are not more special to God than I am and I am not more special to God than you are. I am not the most important person in this building and neither are any of you. We are all made equal in the eyes of Jesus Christ. We are all loved the same by God through Jesus Christ. 
And therefore, we should all love each other in the same type of way. So love is doubly induced benefit of abiding in Christ, both the love of God and the love of our fellow believer. This is a beautiful effect, a beautiful effect that takes away any kind of perhaps haughtiness we might have towards one another. But instead, we should just be induced to love one another all the more. Here's the final effect of abiding in Christ, and you're not going to like this one. It comes in that final section of Scripture, verses 18 through 25, the final effect of Abiding in Christ is hate. Ew, right? Bearing much fruit and love. I like that one. But why do we have to talk about hate? Well, it's the hate of the world. We talked two weeks ago. The world hates Jesus. It hates his message that it, it is you are saved by me and me alone. And if it hates his message, it's going to hate our message as well. Now, I know that verse 18 starts with this word, if, which seems to allude that it's, it's only a possibility. I, I don't know. John makes a similar statement in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. He says, do not marvel if the world hates you. And so there is a conditional sense there that the world may not necessarily hate you, but it is a possibility. And we need to be prepared for that. Understanding and remembering that the world is that which stands in direct contrast to the church, that, that which stands in direct contrast to Jesus Christ and the truth of God. It, it's not only those that have rejected Christ, but it's also those who are ignorant of Christ, those who have had an experience. I'm just kind of curious, have any of you ever experienced not being hated by the world? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, that you don't have to give me a, a vocal answer, but just kind of a thought. The warning here is, is that we need to expect it. But I don't think it's something we need to go out and, and really desire, right? It's, it's not like we need to go live life in such a way that we uh, promote being hated by the, wor the world. But understanding, in fact, as we get along in 1 Peter, which you know, we're studying in the morning, in Sunday mornings, uh, you'll see Peter exhorts us to live peaceably with the world, abiding and uh, submitting ourselves to the rule of our government leaders. And so the will of God is not that we be at war with the lost. And so we need to not wear the world's hatred as a badge of honor. It, it's more of a warning of the possibility and understanding that it, is, that it is likely. And what Jesus goes on to explain is why the world hates him and us. It hates him and may hate us because he was rejected. Because he was rejected, we should expect to be rejected. Because he suffered, we should expect to suffer. And in some way, though not necessarily in the way that Jesus suffers, though some of the disciples did actually die a very gruesome death like Jesus did. The same way that he was condemned, they would be condemned. By hating Jesus, it kind of seals the deal for us. If we are abiding in Christ, then it's a very likely possibility, as we're trying to go and bear fruit, that we might be hated by the world. But understand what he says here, by hating Jesus... They, in turn, are hating God the Father. Sin begets sin. Jesus says they would not have been guilty if he had not come. And 
I want to make sure you understand that Jesus is not saying that they would be sinless or without sin, but that they would not be guilty of the worst sin, that is the rejection of Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. And so there you have it. There's the three effects of abiding in Christ I wanted to give you tonight. We'll produce fruit. We will experience love, that is the love of God and the love of others, and the effect of being hated by the world. That list kind of reminds me of the old song from Sesame Street. I used to watch when I was a kid, right? Uh, Which one of these three don't belong? Which one of these three aren't like the other? I like the bearing fruit, and I like the love of God and love the others, but could I please leave the, the hate of the world behind, right? But we need to expect it. We need to understand that it's a very real possibility. As I close this evening, I want to draw one further conclusion about abiding in Christ, and it is this question, how exactly do we abide in Him? There's talk about obedience, right? There's talk about love, about loving God and loving Christ, about abiding in His love. There's talk about joy that is made full or complete. And all of these are applicable to understanding how we abide in Him. We cannot abide with Christ by living a life of disobedience. So obedience is important to abiding in Him. We, we cannot abide in Him if we do not love Him, obviously. And we certainly cannot abide in Christ if we do not love our fellow believers. And I believe it infers a command also, an exhortation, not only to love, love the, the command to love one another, it infers the command to forgive one another. And so there's, a, there's, there's some things there about kindness and compassion. And as I mentioned, I believe that our experience of joy and the fullness of that joy or it being made complete is directly linked to our obedience to Him. But is this how we abide in Him? Is it through obedience? Is it through love? Is it, is it through joy or having our joy made complete? And I would just direct you to look at verse 7 again. And here's the thought and the application I want to leave with you. How do we abide in Him? We know the effect of abiding Him, but of, 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 of abiding him in Him, but how do we abide in Him? Look at verse 7 again. He says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Two phrases Jesus speaks here. My words abide in you, and you will ask. Now, the disciples that are receiving this, they didn't have Jesus' words written down. All they had was the oral passing down of, of Jesus, directly, obviously, from the source. They are the ones that took His words and made sure they were written down for the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation of believers. And so when we ask the question, how do we abide in Christ, what he says basically is right here, it's through my word. It's through my word. We cannot abide in Christ if we are not in the word of God. Man, I know I keep going to this well. I keep going to this same answer. We need to spend time reading and studying God's word, applying it to our life. But I just don't know of a better way to abide, a better way to build my relationship with Him than by doing that. We cannot experience the marvelous effects of abiding in Him without spending time in His Word. But then there's that second phrase, you will ask. What does that imply? 
Doesn't that apply to prayer? Doesn't that imply that you're spending time speaking to the Lord? We cannot abide in Jesus Christ without spending time in His Word and spending time in prayer. And though it is better to be hated by the world than to be in rebellion against the Lord, true believers obey and submit to God's Word because of their love for God and their commitment to Him. And as a result, they are pruned and more fruit is produced from them. So let us lean in to abiding in Christ by spending time in His Word, by spending time in prayer. Every moment that is possible, let us open up this book or, wow, what a convenience it is that we have our phones and we can actually get it on our phone. So every time we want to open up our favorite game or our, so, our favorite social media application, let us instead open up the Word of God and further abide in Him. I don't want to just barely be in Him. I don't want to be one of those temporary house guests of His. I want to make myself at home. And I want Him to make Himself at home in me. I can't do that if I'm not spending any time talking to him and him talking to me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for that promise that you will abide in us. That if we will submit ourselves to the authority of your word, submit ourselves to you in prayer. Lord, looking for how to be obedient, finding our joy made complete in you. And Lord, receiving that love from one another and then in turn loving each other. God, we, we want to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. And Lord, I want you to do the work that you need to do in me to bear even more fruit. I don't want to be satisfied with two talents. I want to get some more, God. Would you just do an amazing work in us? And then we in turn can do an amazing work in Hill, Texas. Lord, the people outside the walls of this church need to see the effects of our internal fruit and our external fruit. They need to see a people that are on fire for you and are allowing you to change us. Lord, I pray that the people outside the walls of the church will see a, a, a folk that are set on fire, that love each other as you loved us, that are obedient and submitting to you. God, would you have your way in us? And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.